From Boston Partners, welcome to Insights, in-depth conversations with our investment team on investing across geographies, sectors, and industries, beyond what you read in the headlines. Good afternoon and welcome to Boston Partners Insights. This is our 17th installment of a series of interviews that we began four years ago. Then as now, the purpose of the interviews is to provide deeper insight into the capital markets by going beyond the headlines and provide a deeper look into a sector and industry from the perspective of a fundamental research analyst. Our goal is to provide additional information and context that we hope will allow you to have more meaningful conversations with your clients and colleagues. Today, we return to our beginning four years ago to discuss energy. Now, in preparation for the call today, I took a look at the price of oil when we first did the call in March of 2017, and that month, oil hit $53 a barrel. I took a look at the price of oil today, and oil's at $58 a barrel. So using the price of oil as a gauge, it seems to indicate that not much has changed in the energy markets over the last four years. Well, certainly that is not the case. A year ago, the price of oil plunged to $17 as the energy markets were hit with the double whammy of a global price war uh, driven by oversupply, as well as complete uh, demand destruction through the onset of the pandemic and the resultant economic shutdown. The entire energy industry was turned upside down. Uh, however, things have begun to recover a bit and in fact, changes in fundamental conditions within the sector uh, and a near complete turnover of the underlying investor base makes energy an interesting, uh, an interesting idea from an investment perspective today. To help us unpack all of this, we are joined by Aaron DeCoste. Aaron covers the energy markets for Boston Partners, and his job is to make a fundamental assessment on a company-by-company -company basis of the sector industries, and ultimately to make recommendations on how Boston Partners portfolio managers should allocate assets in the energy sector. Uh, welcome, Aaron. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great. Maybe you could start by bringing us up to speed. And can you compare and contrast the business conditions within energy today versus 12 months ago at the onset of the pandemic? So it's certainly a lot has changed in the past 12 months. Um, even going to just pre the pandemic, which really started, I, I suppose, mid-March of last year, the beginning of March was an OPEC meeting um, where we saw the first steep decline in oil prices, where Saudi Arabia and Russia couldn't agree on production cuts. Uh, that led to the Saudis actually flooding the market with oil. That was the first drop um, that we saw in oil prices. Subsequent to that, two weeks later, you saw uh, the COVID lockdowns really begin in earnest. That's where you started to see the demand destruction. That's where you saw oil plummeting, uh, energy prices, energy stocks all falling pretty significantly. Um, that's actually where you saw oil at one point, the futures contract go below zero for the first time in history. Um, so certainly things have changed since then. Um, fast forward to this year, oil's actually gone into the mid $60 range. I think a lot of people thought that probably wasn't going to happen again. Uh, in between that, Companies were forced to cut their capex, something that investors like us at Boston Partners and in other, uh, in other shops had been asking for the companies to do, focus on capital discipline, generating cash flow, but they weren't willing to do COVID and, and, and what, what happened middle of 2020 forced this to happen. It reduced growth 
And it also, uh, it also forced some consolidation in the industry. So you saw 20 companies over the last two years that were 40% of U.S. oil growth are now nine companies. They're much larger. They're less focused on growth. And really what's more important, um, and it's something we haven't seen really for possibly 20 years, is the fundamentals, which were really, really poor for the industry, uh, lack of cash flow, lack of concern for uh, returning cash to shareholders, they look a lot better. Um, there's free cash flow coming from these companies. The capital discipline's a lot better. And secondly, it's the valuations. The valuations are probably the most attractive I've seen in 20 to 25 years. And, and the reason for that is when oil prices originally dropped out of you know, 2014, 2015, uh, that was the original price collapse, a lot of the valuations didn't drop with the stocks. In fact, the multiples simply expanded, um, I think, on the expectations from the investment community that simply oil prices would go back up, the multiples would compress. So you really looked at 16 to kind of 19 as a period of really high multiples in the industry. Uh, and 2020 simply corrected that. Uh, and I would think in most cases more so. Uh, some of the multiples went um, quite uh, quite far below what you saw historically even going back kind of 20 to 25 years. If you go back uh, 12 months ago, what were some of the data sets you were looking at? I mean, I guess you could intuitively know that, you know, there was going to be trouble, but, you know, you got to do a little bit more work than that. You just can't base on your intuition. What were some of the data sets you were looking at? And take us back to that time and sort of what your, your thought process was and how you kind of make it through such a, a challenging period. Yeah. So if you go back, again, this goes back to just before the uh, pandemic, uh, we had noticed probably starting in middle of 2018 that global demand for oil and gas um, oil products, gasoline, diesel was starting to slow a little bit. Um, that decelerated for, you know, really two years. Supply was ample. A lot of that was coming from the U.S. I think everybody, uh, everybody understands that. As you got into 2020, you still had those issues in the early part of the year. So as a firm, you know, we've been cautious for energy for, for several years. Um, you get to the OPEC meeting, additional supply to the market's an issue. As you got into, uh, into kind of the COVID lockdowns, um, Obviously, the dynamic had changed. You really had to focus on demand. And what you didn't have in previous years and things we started to look at was you could actually look at congestion data. So what we started looking at early was congestion data in cities in China like Wuhan, Hong Kong, uh, Shanghai to see what traffic was like. And so we look at sites like TomTom. Um, and then what we were able to do is start looking across the world and seeing how that was spreading and impacting. So we were able to make assessments of really how much demand destruction there was going to be. Uh, on top of that, the TSA also publishes data and flight data you can find to understand what does jet traffic look like. And you can see that precipitously falling too. So pretty early on, we started to look at this um, and could really tell that demand was going to be a real issue. Um, I would say probably in mid-March is where we, we kind of picked up on it. And you, you saw pretty steep declines all the way into April. Okay, so maybe uh, we could fast forward to today. And how do you look at uh, supply right now? You mentioned that you know, you've had a lot of consolidation and some supply has come out. Maybe you can put some numbers behind that and give us a sense of where they're going. Yeah, so on the supply side, really the key was OPEC obviously taking barrels off the market to balance it. Um, but really the focus, I think, is to focus on North America. Um, and which had been the concern, it had been the growth in the market for the past, you know, better part of the decade. Um, from peak to trough of where you're kind of producing now is about 2 million barrels a day um, decline from the peak of last year. 
Now, unlike OPEC, U.S. can't just bring that production back on without significant increase in CapEx, um, and which I talked about before, likely isn't going to happen without um, you know, companies spending, and will take years to get back to you. So right there, you get 2 million barrels a day offline on the supply side. OPEC, uh, likely, if you look back over the past kind of 20 years, not a ton of growth there. There's a bit. Europe's been declining. Um, they're not going to grow. And you've heard from BP and Shell, they're not interested in investing in oil anymore. They want to shift to renewables. Um, so you really have a lack of oil production growth globally. And the low prices really shocked companies into cutting CapEx. Um, so the supply going forward, we expect to be significantly constrained. Interesting. And how about demand? Do you see that coming back as uh, the world tries to emerge from the pandemic and uh, the economies try to grow again? Yeah, so demand's the wild card. But if you look back, going back to 1980, demand has generally been pretty resilient. Um, eventually, you know, there is an expectation that demand will start to round out as we go into renewables, um, as you know, emerging market economies like China, India fully develop and there's less growth there. But we believe demand will go back to the pre-pandemic levels and continue on a growth trajectory. Obviously, as we get longer down the decade, that will uh, that will slow down a bit. Um, the question will be is how fast do we get back to that number? And there's been some indications, uh, for instance, gasoline demand in Europe in September and October was actually up year over year before another set of lockdowns. So you are seeing some trends of more people driving, uh, less public transportation, um, and then obviously jet fuel has been down. But you know, if you look back to the early 2000s, uh, that bounced back. It took about two to three years, but it, it does eventually come back. Let's stick on demand for a moment. Let's talk a little bit more about the longer term picture. You know, certainly you read in the press and you know, climate change is a big issue that the globe, you know, that people are globally trying to deal with. And the reduction of fossil fuel use is at the front end of doing all that. So the belief out there that the demand for fossil fuels is going away, whether it be through electric vehicles or other means, what does the longer term demand picture look like? And uh, how is that going to play itself out in the, in the period ahead? Yeah, so in, in the near to maybe medium term, you will still see the same kind of demand growth trajectory that you've seen in the past. Um, and I'll, I'll discuss that in a second. As you get further on the decade, you will certainly see some, some deterioration, like I said before, with emerging economies needing less gasoline, diesel as, the, uh, as they develop. Um, the one thing to keep in mind is most people look at oil demand and think gasoline, diesel. Um, so really, if, if you broke down the oil market, 100 million barrels a day, you have to break it down and understand how could you displace those barrels. So gasoline is about 25% of the market, and that's what everyone thinks about. You can displace it with EVs. So in the long run, yes, EVs will displace some of that capacity, but that's 25% of the market, and it will take some time to get there. Uh, about 30 to 40% of it is diesel. So you're thinking uh, trucking, marine shipping, uh, of that nature. A little more difficult to displace. Um, Obviously, Tesla's got a, a truck, an EV truck, uh, but th that's probably a longer-term displacement issue. Then you get into jet fuel, which is roughly 10 to 15 percent of the market. That's going to be very difficult to displace, as, as as one can imagine. But you know, there there are companies looking at it. And then the last percentage, which is about 25, is petrochemicals. Um, those are very difficult to re to replace. Um, and, and I, if you understand, they are really the building blocks for everything around us. Uh, 
you know, an Under Armour shirt on a golf course is petrochemical. The dashboard in your car, uh, your your chair, uh, your backpack, uh, this is all petrochemicals. So that's really hard to display. So if you look at the big picture of what's in that 100 million barrels a day, certainly gasoline will be disrupted, and you're already seeing some of it. But the the broader picture is it's it's very difficult to disrupt a lot of that, um, particularly when you think about developing economies again like China and India. There is a, uh, I would say, a home bias for U.S. and uh, European investors to think, well, oil demand's not growing. It's, well, it's because the growth is in these other emerging economies. And when they do develop in 20 or 30 years uh, and are more on par with, uh, with North America and Europe, the growth will be stagnant at that point. Right. So a realistic expectation on a drop in demand is going to be play itself out over decades. And uh, it's really, you know, it's made producing things rather than uh, eliminating them, as you hear some some parties say. Uh, that, that's generally what I think is going to be the case. Interesting. Let's, uh, one of the, the things that you talked about was that energy was viewed as a growth area, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And you had a lot of growth-oriented investors. And then you had the, the initial decline in the, the middle part of the 2010s. And you almost had a complete recycling and turnover of the investor base, and now a lot of value-oriented investors uh, hold energy shares. How does that have an impact on the companies? Do the companies change how they operate? How do you see that influencing the future for energy stocks? Yeah, I think that has a pretty big impact. Um, You've seen a pretty big turnover investor base. Uh, a lot of investors have turned turned away from energy, either from you know uh, you know poor investment um, or capital allocation decisions from the company, or you know growth like tech has, has worked, um, and you've seen this shift. So you know from a value investor standpoint, um, it's certainly gotten more attractive. Uh, investors are still skeptical of the capital discipline, and as I mentioned before, uh, you know. If you think about shale, one of the things I like to point out is, you know, and not to, to pick on a company in particular, but it, it's a very good example, and they haven't done M&A for the past 20 years, so it's a very clean example, is Pioneer Natural Resources. If you looked at a chart going from 2019 back to 2000, they generated positive free cash flow once in 20 years, 2006, right? And going forward, there's going to be significant free cash flow. What you saw pre-2019 is, well, we want to grow double digits. We think that's the best way to generate shareholder return. Going forward, uh, the investor base, after many years of saying cut your capex, return cash to shareholders, we want dividends. Companies weren't doing that. They're now you've now seeing dividends uh, across a lot of the EPs and a commitment to uh, only grow mid single digits and return the rest of the cash to shareholders. Um, so that's really a divergence. There's still a lot of skepticism in the market, but if there is a dividend yield out there for these companies that they have to hit, it's also going to restrict how much uh, growth capital they can put to work. So it's going to be interesting to see if these companies really do hold their discipline. So that's going to be a big factor you're going to be assessing in the companies that that you invest in is management's discipline of returning capital, having some restraint in terms of developing new production, and that could potentially lead to better uh, returns and cash flow generation and compounding returns for energy investors going forward. So that could be a sea change that could make the sector uh, somewhat interesting in the period ahead. Well, both from a uh, capital return standpoint to investors, but also from a supply standpoint. 
So you won't see that supply hitting the market, which you know would support oil prices. Wonderful. Let's uh, let's shift the conversation a little bit to the political agenda. And obviously, you have a new administration in, and they've talked about uh, doing things to curb the use of fossil fuels. How do you see the the Biden administration impacting the energy space, and what does that mean for energy stocks? So, from that perspective, it's I think the headlines have been a little bit. Uh, probably worse than the, than the reality. Um, obviously there was a, they wanted to put a ban on new leases. Most of the, most of the federal lands have been leased, uh, anyway, uh, they haven't, uh, put drilling permit, um, restrictions out yet. Um, so as of right now, it certainly isn't impacting as much as I think there was expectations, but there is that constant overhang in the market that the administration will start to put restrictions on federal lands, uh, potentially change taxes for companies. So, they wouldn't be able to depreciate a third of their investments up front, which is which would turn a lot of these entities into immediate taxpayers. Um, so that's kind of a shifting guideline. One of the more interesting things is going to be probably uh, what we've looked at is kind of an impact on our food chain, um, as it were. So a big push is for renewable diesel. Um, so they want to blend diesel and displace some of the diesel to make uh, you know renewable diesel. And, the feedstock for renewable diesel in general or renewable gasoline is either corn to make ethanol or soybean to make soybean oil. Um, so what, what's happening, we're already seeing is soybean prices are starting to be uh, pushed up because of the pull from these renewable diesel plants. And the government's incentivizing by both giving a tax credit plus providing a renewable credit to the firms that are generating this fuel. Uh, and so what it's done is it's pushed up. And if you think of soybeans, soybeans, are crushed to convert soy meal or soil. Soil goes to the renewable diesel plants or to food. I think uh, salad dressing. Soy meal goes to uh, meat and poultry um, companies to support their feed. So from that perspective, right now, the U.S. is a net exporter of soybean oil. We expect within a year or two that we're going to be a net importer, likely from Argentina or Brazil. And we're going to be significantly short soybean oil, which is going to push prices up for this and for renewable diesel. So all in all, it looks like there could be both an impact from fuel prices with oil, but also from food prices. And it's it's a bit of an irony that our energy policy is going to start creeping into um, in, into our food prices. Wow, that's quite interesting. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is natural gas, seen as a, a more a cleaner uh, means of um, cleaner means of energy production, uh, something that there's a lot of supply in the United States. How do you see that fitting into the mix, and what are your thoughts there? Uh, in terms of energy transition, I, I certainly think natural gas is important. Um, it is cleaner, obviously, than oil. Uh, maybe on par with nuclear, maybe a little bit less, given uh, you know some of the waste issues with nuclear, but. I think it's certainly an important uh, piece of the puzzle. Um, and as you've seen in Texas, uh, the shift to wind um, did create an issue. And one of the issues was all of that wind was pushing uh, natural gas and coal plants into retirement. Uh, so when you did, when an issue did arise where there was a significant need for, uh, for power, uh, there wasn't enough uh, assets um, to back up the intermittent uh, wind power or solar power. So it is going to be uh, definitely needed. In terms of pricing, there's still a significant amount of natural gas in the U.S., uh, very cheap, um, very cheap prices. So I wouldn't expect to see any appreciation above 
probably three dollars for you know in the next five to ten years. Um, plus, on the oil side, you're getting you're still getting a pretty significant amount of uh, associated gas. First, a lot of the oil producers, oil prices go up. Gas is just a byproduct um, that they can bring bring out of the ground. So, I certainly think uh, it, it is needed for the transition. But from an investment standpoint, uh, investing in the natural gas companies is, I think, uh, from a fundamental standpoint, it's it's a little bit challenging right now. Good. So you've really painted an interesting picture of energy now versus a year ago and versus four years ago. Are there any companies or industries within energy that you find interesting now as a result of all that's going on that hadn't been interesting previously that you can you know, talk about company or industry specific? Yeah. So it, just within the industry sleeve, uh, in particular, the oil field services. So the oil field services by and large, were pretty choppy momentum. The, the, the price of the stocks really range traded. Uh, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of capacity coming into the market. There was a lot of competition. You saw pricing deflation for the past you know four or five years, and, and valuations just weren't attractive. And I think part of that too was as you look at consensus numbers, and if you go back several years, uh, consensus numbers from from analysts always had these hockey stick like returns on EBITDA or EBITDA is here, but it would be up significantly in the next two years. And that's how you justify a higher price and a higher multiple. Uh, and th- it likely wasn't going to materialize. Um, when COVID finally hit, uh, you saw all of these consensus numbers uh, get readjusted down. And as you look out, and as we looked out in August or September, uh, most consensus numbers for the Halliburton's, the Schlumberger's, were on par with 2020 in 21 and 22 and not much up in 23. And if you look historically, that just didn't make sense to us. And the, and the stocks were more than reflecting what those prices were. So definitely a shift there. And what we've done is shifted more into the oil field services and certainly into the upstream side as well. That was another key is, as fundamentals improved significantly in the upstream side, um, we saw a more of a shift to, to wanting to own some of these companies still staying to higher quality, still staying to companies that were committed to capital discipline, returning cash to shareholders. But the fundamentals and valuations of, uh, of both these sectors, you know, again, became a, the most attractive I've seen again in the last probably 20 years. Interesting. And that's what I wanted to finish up with. Perhaps maybe you could just summarize your thesis on energy and investing in energy companies, uh, putting some historical context of you know, is now an interesting time? Do you think it has some room to run? And what are the things you're going to be looking at as signals to see whether it's going in the direction or if things have changed and uh, maybe it's time to, uh, to take some profits and, and move on to other things? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly think there's plenty of room to run from here. Uh, but again, it's, it's a cautious optimism. Uh, one of the things I'll be looking at certainly is going to be the demand trajectory. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I think it is going to continue to improve um, for the reasons I mentioned. And then on the supply side, really the supply uh, is going to be focusing on discipline in the U.S. Are these companies in the consolidation, is that limiting uh, growth in the U.S.? Understanding that there will be no growth in Europe, OPEC likely won't grow, uh, Asia is probably not going to grow, and Latin America, you'll get a bit of growth. So those will really be the key things to focus on. So it's going to be one of those things where we we kind of monitor quarterly to say, is the thesis still playing out? Is demand improving and is supply still restrained? And, and as long as that continues, 
uh, it'll still be attractive provided that the fundamentals and the valuation uh, are, are still within a reasonable range, which they continue to be. Um, but what you will see is you will see momentum start to improve and you've started to see that kind of in earnest across the sector. Wonderful. Well, Aaron, we appreciate you uh, speaking with us today. Very insightful and uh, some exciting things going on in the industry sector. So thank you again. And uh, we look forward to speaking to everybody in our next installment. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for having me.